Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash. What's Pod got to do, got to do with it? What's Pod but a second-hand emotion? <laughs> I'd like to think we're more than just a second-hand emotion, Kev. A second-hand promotion. <laughs> oh, very good. Nice. Well recovered. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? I am really good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good as well. Thank you very much. Looking forward to concluding our latest clash. Indeed, yes. And please uh, tell the listeners uh, what our latest clash is and how we will be concluding it. So uh, so our latest clash is a soul titanic clash between Aretha Franklin. So we went through that last week and it was her album, I Never Loved a Man. And this week we will be going through I'm Still in Love with You by Al Green. Indeed. And the connection is Memphis, Tennessee. Aretha being from Memphis. Al Green being the reverend at the Baptist Church. His own Baptist Church that he founded in Memphis. And as Kevin no doubt will go on to speak about, today's album was recorded in said fair city. And Tennesseeing is tenor believing. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I can't remember where I've got that. Could be Simpsons. It is a Simpsons. Yeah, I thought so. It's a Simpsons quote. Yeah. It's been a few weeks since we had a Simpsons reference, so well done. Okay. <laughs> uh, however, firstly, video killed the radio star. Your pick, indeed. So, um, this week's pick is "Go with the Flow" by Queens of the Stone Age. So, before I talk about the video, I can say that it won uh, an MTV VMA for Best Visual Effects and was nominated for um, several other awards, but didn't win. Um, <laughs> and it's from my favourite Queens of Stone Age album. Um, it's a belter of a song. Quite subtle imagery. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you've got Mad Max henchmen as sperm. Sexy, sexing, crashing cars. Yeah, like... So, I always assumed, wrongly, as it turns out, that this video was directed by Robert Rodriguez. Because the animation style is so redolent of what he would do a couple of years later on Sin City. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was wrong. He had nothing to do with it. No, um, so the uh, Wikipedia page says that the video also has sexual themes, such as a metaphor of two cars colliding with each other, symbolising intercourse. Like the whole, like basically a sperm atomic bomb goes off. Well, exactly. <laughs> the use of the term also has sexual themes implies that those aren't the main themes f- from the video. Now, I will profess to being no scholar of the visual arts, but I I don't think I've missed much in terms of the thematic inferences one must draw from this video. No. Well, the... uh, Just before the uh, sperm bomb goes off, (laughs) um, there's an image of of a Bident. Uh, I mean, how... Is that what he calls it? (laughs) 
Is that what's on Hunter's laptop? <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Um, Staying in, by the way. Yeah. Oh, we might get the fucking QAnon people listening to the show. That'll boost the numbers. Uh, Are we going to have to, like, pivot and, like, start saying lock her up and all that jazz? No, we're not. Sorry, Um, carry on. Who knew that early January was was now the time to storm a city (laughs) democracy? Yeah, we're looking at you, Brazil. (laughs) We we have um, some digress. Basically, yeah, the it's an interesting video in the the way it's animated and rendered. But saying that the also has sexual themes. No, it is just pure sex, sexual themes. That's it. Well, like the the car driving into the stripper's crotch is. Yeah, <laughs> it's all I can describe it. As. Yeah, there's there's nothing subtle going on here. Like. It's so unsubtle that Michael Bay would get it. <laughs> and there is an explosion. There is an exactly. explosion. <laughs> so my, it, it, it will have kept Michael Bay's attention. I mean, it's a good tune. And it's not the first of their videos to be in that, I'm going to politely say, suggestive animated style. So <laughs> Feel Good Hit of the Summer, I'm sure, has some very similar imagery in the video great tune by the way indeed but yeah I, I i like queens of the stone age a lot as you know as do you it's a great tune it's a really interesting video it's a good video as well let's be honest it's a good video yeah. do you know what my overriding thought was that i left the video with why does josh Homso such callous disregard for his guitar literally when he's climbing <laughs> he on top of the boot, they just fucking throws it what are you doing at least put it in a guitar stand. Come on! Possibly he was throwing it to a Rosie. Who was... No, no, you see it fall on the floor. Uh, um, right, just before we move on to um, album of the pods, I discovered, discovered this. Roiksop did a cover. Uh, sorry? I thought I heard you say that Roiksop covered Queens of the Stone Age. Covered Go With The Flow by Queens of the Stone Age. Well, there you go. Have you heard it? I have not heard it. I am intrigued. <laughs> That's one word. Yep. Yeah, all right. Fine. So, <laughs> what is your album of the pod, Kevin? So, uh, so, well, before we do that, yes, we will obviously post the link to uh, "Go with the Flow" by Queen of the Stone Age. Maybe don't show your kids. I mean, you don't see anything that's explicit, no. but um, it's all very suggestive. Uh, but quite blatantly suggestive mm-hmm. brazenly so one might say but yeah there you go so yeah album of the pod your choice okay so album of the pod is not a new album it's um 2013's floating coffin by the ocs now they're a, they're a very interesting band the ocs they so at this point they are in their kind of lo-fi uh garage type sound but over the course of their albums, they've done they've gone from that to psych pop. I mean, relatively recently, they've done a metal album. They've done a prog album. They are a very <laughs> odd band. Diverse. Yeah. But like this is, Floating Coffin is a classic bit of uh, garage band. It's But there is a bit of psychedelia in there. So there's something for you to grab onto, uh, Tim. 
check it out. It's a, it's a... all right. Okay. There's no there's no need to get personal with it, Kev. <laughs> Look, we know that you are not as you don't dislike a garage band, but you are not as um, it's not your favorite genre. A, an accurate statement. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. Um, Have we figured yet out how we are going to? collate our list of albums of the pod into some sort of curated playlist or whatever absolutely it might be. no idea <laughs> at, at some point like maybe that we'll make a another um playlist and we'll just stick the whole albums on i don't know well, we'll have a thing. H- here we go then on air admin i am assigning you that action kevin Okay, so in about six months' time, <laughs> there may well be thoughts about how this is going to be done. Uh, very good. Okay. Uh, so I, I can't say as I've listened to that much of the OC's output. I mean, uh, I, I also didn't like their terrible teen angst television <laughs> I show. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Sorry. Right, okay, Al Green, go on. Okay, so I'm Still In Love With You. It's the fifth studio album by Al Green, released on 23rd of October, 1972. And as uh, Tim mentioned, that the recording sessions for the album took place in Tennessee. Yeah, and so this is part of Al Green's sort of golden period, which... For Soul as well. You know, we're talking 72. We're talking this is uh, during Stevie's Imperious period. We've mm-hmm. just had um, um, What's Going On yeah. by Marvin Gaye. This is, this is a strong period for Soul The music. golden age of Soul music, one would say. And he was gradually sort of becoming more popular from the start of his career in the in the mid-60s and reaches, or what he thought was his zenith, um, in 1972, where he recorded Let's Stay Together, which, not a bad song, and a pretty damn good album. Well, indeed, and we've spoken about the song Let's Stay Together in the past, and I, and I nearly chose the album to go head-to-head with the Aretha, but but as we spoke about the other week, th- this was a more appropriate choice in terms of where they were in their careers, let's say. When did he release or record I'm So Tired of Being Alone? So it was 71. Okay, so the year before. So it's yeah. the same, it, this is a real prolific period for him as an artist and as we just said for soul music. Because wasn't that, that was that was a top 10 hit on the Billboard Hot 100, was it not? Yeah, so, so amazingly, the UK actually, well done UK, US Billboard uh, peak position 11, oh, okay. peak position in the UK 4. Oh, fair play. Well done to the UK is right. And was um, re- included on the fantastically named album Al Green Gets Next to You. I- I'd quite like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as I said, um, Let's Stay Together comes out and it's the best he's ever done. Uh, he gets uh, a number one number one single from Let's Stay Together. Mm-hmm. It's a number one album on the R&B chart and absolutely pushes his career to new levels. So... On I'm Still In Love With You, he stays with the same producer, Willie Mitchell. And basically, they develop the Al Green sound and the production values from Let's, from the Let's Stay Together album are very much carried over into, into this album. And what happens is, I mean, essentially, this is, becomes his most accomplished work. It's also his most successful work as well. Again, it's a mix of originals and, and covers. 
and has got some absolutely brilliant musicians on on there as well. And on Let's Say Together, he included a six and a half minute version of the Bee Gees' How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, um, which was like, it was really kind of revolutionary. Like no one has, and so on I'm Still In Love With You, he brought in country in the in this form of for the good times I was which say, is, we'll, we'll get into that well yeah which is a chris christopherson song um and had been really you know it'd been quite a popular country hit and mm-hmm. been uh, in the early 70s so you know the fact that he chose to include this just shows you um how broad broad a net that that the soul singers were cast into you know so i'm really glad you said that cuz I've written a very similar note, is that what is fascinating about this period, and we, we could have said it the other week when we were doing, doing Aretha, particularly when we spoke about uh, This Girl's In Love With You and, and some of the covers she had on there, is, yeah, they are covering anything and everything, and they are, they, it sounds really awful, but, you know, soul artists at this time, they are they are taking inspiration from all forms of popular music. They are putting it all together in this big melting pot. They're putting their own stamp on everything. And none of it sounds generic. None of it sounds formulaic. I'm preempting what I'm going to say going through some of the tracks on the album, but in the same way as I said about Aretha the other week, in all of the cover versions on this album, they're all definitively Al Green songs. Does that make sense? They all yeah, they, sound they in, of a inimitably piece. his. Yeah. Even, that, though the, even though there are covers on there. And you can say the same about the stuff that Ike and Tina were doing. Some Same about the stuff that the likes of Marvin and Tammy Terrell are doing. It's, you know, anyway. Yeah. It, it's, this, is, this is, as I said earlier, it's the golden age, I would describe, of soul music. Um, in terms of the output, in terms of the quality, the diversity, and obviously its success. Anyway, sorry. Well, yeah, and you know, you've got Bowie um, producing Young Americans a a bit later because he's influenced by all this stuff. You've got the Soul Mass Transit System. (laughs) That's two Simpsons quotes. Yeah, yeah. So that's all I've really got for background. One thing that I I will bring up here because it's absolutely wild. So one of the most famous songs on the album, Love and Happiness, and we will definitely obviously talk about that, High Records decided not to release it as a single in the US at the time. It was released overseas in 73. It was eventually released as a US single in 1977, and it didn't even make the top 100. What? 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 I know. (laughs) I'm speechless. Yeah, it's it's absolutely wild. It is absolutely wild. The decision not to release it in the first place is wild. Not even reaching the top 100. So what's going on? It's, well, that's exactly what I'm thinking. You've got... Have you had Disco Sucks? Not by this time, surely. That was 79-80 time, wasn't it? Disco Sucks. It could, it could well be, yeah. But it, it takes... Even if... Disco Sucks was going on at this time, it takes quite the creative leap to suggest that Al Green is disco. 
No, but... Th- oh, wait, wait, listen, we know exactly what the Disco Sucks movement was, okay? Well, well, exactly, like, that's why it immediately came to mind, because, let's face it, it was a homophobic and racist... Yes. Um, ...racist movement. Anyway, Anyway, let's, 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 move, let's on. move on. So, basically, America, you made very poor decisions... You did. Um, you ...with Al Green stuff. Go and sit in the corner and think about what you've done. I mean, we can't talk, um... <laughs> No, like, we can so, when it comes to Al Green. Well, you already can, said. We can. we can, but, you know, yeah. um, the facts for our, well, for our non-UK listeners, just type Clive Dunn into um, into YouTube. And if Actually, that doesn't... No, to be, don't. I mean, it's it's not one, it, like, it's completely safe for work. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, it's just very dreadful. shit. Yeah. <laughs> right, anyway... I can't believe I managed to make a reference. How did you go from Al Green to fucking Clive Dunn? I I mean, not fucking Clive Dunn. (laughs) He's dead. That would be very illegal. (laughs) Which just reminds me of um, whenever my mum and dad watched um, repeats of Dad's Army when I was a kid. Whenever the final... Your mum wanted to fuck Clive Dunn? (laughs) No. (laughs) I believe you just said that. Stay in him. Um, whenever they got to like the end credits and they showed like all the actors in it, yeah. my mum and dad would play a game where they just go through dead, dead, alive. <laughs> Be a much easier game to play now. <laughs> oh god. Wasn't there okay. a Pertwee in Dad's Army? Yes. There you go. Go on. Okay. That's so... all staying in the show, folks. Yeah. I mean, pure Twitter clips going on there. Um, okay, so, Timothy, how did you first come across this album? Uh, right, so I saw Al Green live. Uh, I saw him, he, in 1999, was in the, what has now become known as the Legends slot, so the Sunday afternoon pyramid stage slot uh, at Glastonbury. He was really good. So the year before, it had been Tony Bennett. So this is before the Legend slot was actually mm-hmm. a thing, but it was starting to become a thing. So the year before was Tony Bennett, who I also saw. Um, saw Al Green. It was really good. But I'd be lying if I said I went back from that and immediately went and listened to all of Al Green's stuff. It's probably only about two or three years ago that I started listening to more of Al Green's music. And again, as I said with Aretha the other week, as a landmark album of his, this was an obvious touchstone within my discovery of Al Green. So, yeah, relatively recently, to be honest with you. I'm assuming you have a much longer history with it. Not as long as you would imagine. Okay. Um, so I had I had a copy of Let's Stay Together from sort of the mid-2000s, but it, it wasn't until like sort of six, seven years ago that I'd, you know, I started, list- started going back through his... His um, back catalogue and listening to to other stuff. I also had a copy of Best Greatest Hits albums. Mm. Let's let's face it, and he looks magnificent on the front. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, so it's it's not that long for me, but yeah, it, it's. I tell well, you we'll, what, even we'll in ni- in ninety nine, he still looked cool. He looked in, he did yeah. some decent nick, and he looked cool. Fair play, you know. Uh, okay, well, f- I, I I assumed you'd have heard it. Uh, much, much, much earlier than that. But uh, well, no, there you go. So, um, artwork. <laughs> May I read you my notes on the? Oh artwork? yes, please. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I apologise in advance. It's Al Green 
sat on the veranda at Mr. Big's plantation from Live and Let Die. <laughs> There's an awful lot of white on display, which is ironic. <laughs> or, or is it? So, like, so it's funny that you said, like, he whilst he is smiling in it, like, it does have pure Bond villain. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's, that was exactly... My, it, it is pure Live and Let Die. It's pure... Mm-hmm. That, that, that. I mean, I, he looks great. He does look great. It, I, and what I would say is the furniture doesn't look comfortable. No, it, is it a rattan chair? If you say so. Okay. It's one of those ones that, like... Like a your, wicker chair. Yeah, your nan always had in the 80s. Yeah. And you sat on it. Like, she always... That was her patio furniture. And she'd always... You'd go around at, like, Easter. It'd be fucking freezing outside. And she'd go, oh, no, it's springtime now. We're going to eat outside. You sat on that furniture, really uncomfortable, fucking freezing your tits off. So there's absolute like Northern England. Like, so <laughs> we ain't got we ain't going out until it's June. Kev, there's no chance you're going outside in June, mate. <laughs> <laughs> You'd come back looking like a fucking frazzle. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fine. Um but between the two album covers, I think this is a bit more visually arresting. Um, I agree. It's the better cover of the two. It is more visually arresting. Well, I was able to make a joke about font. it. I would not. I now there we disagree. So the uh, Aretha's font was unusual. Uh, this font is just uninspiring. It's no, like I, it's, I... it's 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 aerial. With a with a white fill, it's no. I'm not having the font. I like it. I, like, nah. I think it's. I think it's a simple a simple font that goes with the simplicity of the cover. Bollocks! You can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, should we move on? Okay, so we shall crack on with the album. So I'm still in love with you. Uh, it's understandable, Kevin, but I think we've had this conversation before, and uh, whilst I care deeply for you, uh, my feelings are purely platonic. I'm sorry. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a pure classic soul opening with, oh yeah. you know, Al Green's voice is smooth as... Smooth as anything. Well, I'd describe it as caramelly, which I'm, isn't a word, but no. it is now. <laughs> yeah, well, it, because it perfectly encapsulates the uh, lusciousness of his voice. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, it's got all the hallmarks of a classic Al Green track. It, it, to be honest, it sounds a lot like Let's Stay Together, which isn't a surprise given the success of that song and that album. It certainly isn't a criticism, but... There's worse templates you could have. Well, exactly. It is distinctive. Mm-hmm. You've got, as I've talked about his vocal, and you know, smooth, velvety, caramelly, you know, just poured all over it. The strings, which I'm going to mention a lot as we go through this album, are great. There's a nice rolling drum beat through the chorus, and then there's some sort of nice offbeat hi-hat work during the verse, which I really mm-hmm. like, actually. Really strong, like it a lot. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's a great start. It, it's pure Al Green, and that's I am here for it. Hundred percent. Okay, I'm glad you're mine. Kev, we literally just had this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> 
I am mine. I am not yours. I'm not anyone else's. I am my own man. Thank you very much. So I absolutely adore the relaxed vibe here. And it's got a slinky groove to it. Nice. I've So I, I've said a nice gentle funk, but I think slinky groove is a much better way of describing it. It's kind of relaxing and beguiling at the same yeah, time. It's it's... We talked a lot about the band last week. I need to talk about the high records rhythm section yeah. this week. And I just talked about the drums on the title track. I'll say again now, Howard Grimes is a really, really good drummer. The drum beat and the percussion. Right from the start on this. So the start reminds me of Use Me Up by Bill Withers because you've got the drum. That that drum rhythm reminds me of of that Bill with his mm-hmm. groove. I love the strings in this, the way they slide up and down, and it actually, to me at least, takes off of the sound of the strings on "Iron the Walrus" of all songs. The way the way they just, it's not staccato strings. It's the you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to edit that bit out, by the way, because that sounded like a drunk clanger. <laughs> and now it's going to stay in. Damn. <laughs> um, I guess what I'm saying is everything about the production on this, everything about the performance, it's nicely understated. It's very proficient. It's very tight. All the things we spoke about the other week when we are going through Aretha apply equally here. The organ is that it's the... Hundreds and thousands sprinkles on top of the cherry, on top of the ice cream mm-hmm. Sunday, But again, it never, ever detracts from the main man yeah. who just oozes class and cool all over it. Yeah, it, I mean, so Mitchell's production and arrangements are, are great because, again, as we said with Aretha, that... They accentuate his voice, but they don't take away. They give give the space and the oxygen for the performance to to take the center stage because that's that's what you're there for. Exactly, it's great. I, yeah. I like it an awful lot. Okay, love and happiness. Not bad. <laughs> it's just, I mean, you just open with a fantastic, um, funky groove straight away. Which is so hooky. Hmm. So, very readily of Take Me to the River. Mm-hmm. Not surprising, because the co-writer, Teeny Hodges, also co-wrote Take Me to the River. So, it seems likely they were trying to recreate that style. And why not? <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, I'm, I'm glad that um, you carried on speaking, because I... <laughs> After I said Teeny Hodges... Well, as soon as you said Teeny Hodges, I was going to say, um, unlike his cousin, Dancer. (laughs) (laughs) Now now I'm picturing Elton John as a Geordie. Teeny Dancer. (laughs) Hold me closer, Teeny Dancer. (laughs) Oh, dear. This has gone very silly. It really has. Um, Everything about this emanates funk but yeah. gentle soulful relaxing as you said funk yeah it's not dirty it, it's it's like it's clean funk yeah. 
and the band is absolutely on fire. It's amazing. It's, I mean, it's one of his best songs. Uh, agreed. I love the guitar part. I love the organ again. Just those little bits of emphasis throughout the rolling bass, the rolling drums. We've spoken about rhythm sections often on Album Clash because they are crucial. And here's why. But it's all about the horns. That horn part, mm-hmm. it just earworms its way and it doesn't let go. Yeah, it's one of Al Green's best tracks. It's brilliant. I I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, I've got nothing more to add there. So all is left for me to say is what a wonderful thing love is. Yeah. So the first thing I've said is I think his voice on this has some distinctly Otis Redding inflections. Okay. And that's a very good thing. And perhaps not surprising because... Something like Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, for example, being the obvious example, Otis himself was given to that laid-back soul sound. You know, the Mm -hmm. lazy summer evening. Laconic. Yeah, there you go. It delivers everything you want from an Al Green song. And I'm going to repeat myself a lot over the next few tracks. Sorry, guys. You've got lush, lush strings really mellow sound it's just gorgeous it is it's all creating a soft feathery bed for you to lie back on and for al green to get next to you (laughs) (laughs) as i said i'm up for that (laughs) it's yeah i mean we've already spoken about the the arrangement and yeah, the strings perfect. It's it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of music. It is a beautiful piece of music. One might say simply beautiful. <laughs> Indeed. And that leads us nicely on to Simply Beautiful, the next track. Which I think would be better called Undeniably Sexy. I mean, it's definitely got those vibes going on. It's proper horny this. <laughs> and what I, what I love about it is that it's got that really simple opening that you know, Al's vocals are, high, are like high in the mix, and then gradually you got the strings, the guitars, uh, all the different disparate elements gradually come in, and it's beautifully simple, but it works absolutely perfectly. It does. This feels really bluesy. It's not a blues standard twelve bar mm-hmm. blues, but it feels really bluesy. I've mentioned Bill Withers once already on this pod. I'm going to mention him again. This sets me in mind rhythmically, again, not not musically once you get into it, but rhythmically it sets me in mind of who is he and what is he to you. Oh, yeah. In terms of that low-down, bluesy feel, you've got that gentle acoustic part underneath, you know. Yeah, everything is taken down really low, really slow. And then, well, Al Green, he just starts undressing you with his voice. It is eroticism on record. I'm going to say it, Kev. I'm not being funny. I'm not being jokey. It is a sexy, sexy, alluring song. And he is the perfect person to sing it. It's great. Yeah. The only other thing I will say about it is I, particularly in the way Al Green sings it, there's no doubt in my mind that the purple one took a lot of inspiration from the green one. 
Mm-hmm. It sounds very Prince. Yeah. And who better to take inspiration from? Because you know, well, exactly. Yeah, it's it's great. This I really I really like it. Sorry, I've I've uh, I've taken us down a very Mills and Boone route there, guys. But um, <laughs> listen, uh, when I hear a sexy song, I'll call it out. And this is a sexy old song. Okay. So we then move on to Oh Pretty Woman. Yeah, we do. Um, what do you feel about it? Honestly, I don't know. I like it. I, I like it quite a lot, um, but no matter how many times I listen to this album, for some reason it always catches me off guard. Mm-hmm. I just there's something about the idea of Al Green singing Roy Orbison, and, and not just Roy Orbison, but a Roy Orbison staple, is incongruous to me. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. So for me, I feel that. You know he does he does a good job with it. He brings his own stamp to it, mm-hmm. but he never outsteps the shadow of the original. Nope. And I think whilst you know, like, and we always give credit to covers that do something different that the artist puts their own stamp on it, and that's what he does here. He does a perfectly competent job, but it's not my favorite song in the world, and it's not my favorite song on the album, really. So I think I feel a little bit more highly of it than you. I agree. I don't think he does anything particularly innovative with it. But yes, it definitely has his distinctive style. And so it definitely fits really well sonically on this album. You know, it doesn't jar. It's very well performed. Everyone sounds really tight. The arrangement is clever. It's interesting. And so it doesn't sound in the slightest bit jarring. But the best I can say about it is that it is a perfectly serviceable cover version. Because unlike Respect, this in no way outshines the original. Yeah. And so that's all I can say, really. Okay. So we move on to the next song, uh, For the Good Times. So of all the artists for Al Green to be covering, and you've, you've mentioned this already, Whistler from Blade would be somewhere near the back of that list. <laughs> wow, I didn't expect you to go down that route. True, though. No. Chris Christopherson was in Blade and Blade 2. Was there a third Blade film? There was. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was in it. And Triple H was in Blade Trinity as well. Is that right? And this is definitely going on Twitter. There's rich pickings, actually, from the show, so I can't say definitely. Uh, One of the best stroke worst product placements ever in the history of cinema was in Blade Trinity. Worse even than the Casino Royale. Is that a Rolex? No, it's an Amiga. Worse than that. Worse than the, the, um, again, uh, digging on the Bond theme, Uh, the tank going through the... um, Perrier stand. Perrier thing in GoldenEye. Worse, 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 worse. So, just... Before Blade and Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel, I think it's Jessica Biel, are about to go on their big killing spree at the end. So the the start of Act 3. <laughs> you see Jessica Biel on iTunes. <laughs> Was it a U2 iPod? <laughs> no. This is before the U2 malware attack or even the <laughs> Blackberry loves U2. No. Blade asks her, what are you doing? Ryan Reynolds 
intercedes and goes, she's making playlists. She loves nothing better when she's going on a killing spree than to listen to her iPod. Oh. No, seriously, that's in the film. Oh, that makes <laughs> that makes me a little bit sad. It's wonderful, oh, dear me. I can't believe that's staying on the show. But anyway, back to the track. Chris Christopherson, Al Green. Beautiful. Yes, it is beautiful. It's a really simple slow dance. Mm-hmm. The two things that elevate it to that beauty are obviously Al Green's voice. And the strings. Oh, my God, the strings. Uh, gorgeous. Yeah. And they absolutely accentuate the beauty of the performance. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant piece of arrangement again. Yeah. And just it's, it's really simple, but it works fantastically well. It does. Uh, there is a however, and I'm surprised you haven't said it, because it's what you always say. It is a bit long. It's over six minutes. It's not to say I get bored with it, but... It could lose a little bit of it. I would say it can lose 25%. The song has said everything it needs to say by four minutes. Yeah, I think I think, I, that's, a, I think that's a fair. I like it. I think it's gorgeous. It is too long. Okay. Look what you've done for me. Uh, well, clearly a, a lot, given our earlier conversations. <laughs> I mean... I mean could this be any more Al Green? No, exactly. So I've said another classic slice of that Al Green sound. The strings, the brass, the backing vocals, everything is blended together perfectly. <laughs> more luscious strings, more delightful brass licks, <laughs> more of Al Green's delicious creamy vocals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a however. And Ooh. it's a minor however. I really like it. It is Given some of the tracks we've had before, and given some of the stuff that Al Green had done before this album, and I know this was a mega success, by the way. This was a top 10 single in the US. It is a little unremarkable. Hmm. I know that's contentious. It's really good, and it doesn't outstay its welcome like the previous track did. Okay. This gets done and gone in, what, just over three minutes? Yes. So, you know great it's really good for me it's not a classic it's not fantastic it's not great it's just really good okay fair enough so we finish and we have flown we've absolutely and we've, we've been quite silly going through this album and we've still flown through it fair enough um but it's not a very long album no, it's only about 35 minutes, minutes, minutes nine tracks yeah again speaking speaking my language um <laughs> One of these good old days. Yes. I think, so obviously we'll hear what, what you think about it. I love it. I think it's got a lazy, dripped out soul uh, to it, which is simultaneously relaxing and romantic. Um, I think it's great. So it's quite an understated way to end the album. We always talk about end big. Mm-hmm. This is not a big ending. Possibly had they so i know exactly what you're saying that had they switched up the last two, last two tracks wait wait <laughs> however it's fucking great it's fucking great see i'll rope a you there <laughs> it <laughs> it's got again all of those elements you love 
about Al Green and that mellow funk is back here too. The only criticism I have is I always feel slightly shortchanged with a fade out. But Al Green was always fond of a fade out. So fair enough. I love this. Yeah. Um it's it's great. But I think I think there is a there is a legitimate point to be made that you switch this with look what you've done for me and you end you end on an on an up. Even though even though i I think it's it's great. I don't think you need to end on an up. Uh, so I said I said it's an understated way to end. It is understated, but that's not bad. That's that's that is I don't know, going against the grain if you like. That's I I think it's a really good closer. I just want more of it. Three minutes twenty four. I want more. No. That's the, <laughs> the right length. Right, like, anyway. Okay. Right, and there we are. We are done. Yeah. So, would you like some reviews? Yes, please. Okay, so, as um, when we went through um, our top trumps uh, two weeks ago, it got pretty good reviews, really. Mm. So, I can't, unfortunately, access the original Rolling Stone uh, review from 1972, because it's not available at the minute. But from some uh, more contemporary reviews of it, so we go to our old friend Stephen Thomas Erlewine. And... We've not we've not quoted Stephen for a long time. We do apologise, Stephen. We know you listen. He doesn't. Uh, and his review on all music. So he says, "I'm still in love with you." Sh- shares many service similarities with its predecessor. Let's stay together, which we've said. Uh, from Al Green and Willie Mitchell's uh, distinctive, sexy style to the pacing and song selection. Despite those shared shared traits, I'm still in love with you distinguishes itself with its suave romantic tone and its subtly ambitious choice of material. Nice. Yeah. Cannot cannot disagree. Uh, and uh, the word suave is not one I think we've used, certainly not one we've used to describe this album. I don't think we've ever used it on Album Clash. Uh, and I'm going to make a concerted effort to try and use that because, yeah, spot on. Suave is right. So from the Pitchfork uh, review... I'm still in love with you recapitulates the uh, Let's Stay Together formula right down to the unlikely six and a half minute cover, this time Chris Christopherson's For the Good Times. But that album mostly been I Don't Want to Break Up songs. This one is solidly I Love You Sweetie material and it's even better. In part that's because Green had learned to write to his voice's strengths, especially his superhuman falsetto. The band's arrangements are a masterclass in getting out of the way of the groove. Love and happiness is all headroom and negative space, and the drum break at the top of I'm Glad You're Mine is as understated as funk gets. So it's really interesting. So I agree with everything that that review says. And it's interesting they talk about his falsetto, and actually it's probably a failing of, of both of us in going through the album. We haven't talked about it because that is the uniqueness of Al Green's voice, is mm-hmm. that falsetto... And, and 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 so I mentioned Otis Redding inflections at one point in the album, and one of the things apparently from his earlier recordings that he was not criticised for, but the people he was working with were trying to encourage him out of is 
trying to sound like other people, trying to ape that popular soul style and be his own singer. And my God, they were right because when he came into his own, does no one, does no one sings like Al Green? Uh, it's wonderful. No, it, exactly, exactly right. Um, anyway, so, sorry. what does he have to say? Well, okay. Uh, uh, so he gave it an A minus, as, as you said the other week when we we're doing top trumps. So, what did Robert Crisco have to say about Al Green's "I'm Still in Love with You"? So, uh, and I don't think this is well. It certainly isn't the worst thing he's ever written. Um, so let's read it. Easily the most consistent soft soul LP of the year, anchored in with an impressive collection of unforgettable background themes. I'm happy to own it. Oh, he'll be delighted to know that, Nobby. But I still remember that less than a year ago, Green looked like he might turn into the complete soul man rather than Black Smoothie of the Year. I mean, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And I make the following request. Remember Otis Redding? Okay, Al? (laughs) I don't know what he means by that. (laughs) Idiot. (laughs) He started off so well. I mean, I'm just I'm just going to move on. Black smoothie. I know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Having said, it's probably not the worst thing he's ever written. No, <laughs> yeah, he's done. He's done far far more greater crimes. Yeah. Anyway, legacy. What do you got to say? Okay, legacy. So this is the high point of Al Green's career. Really, the this is the highest he ever has an album apart from uh, the greatest hits album that I've already sort of mentioned, Mm -hmm. but his personal life takes very much a turn not long after this. So on October the 18th, 1974, Al Green's girlfriend at the time, Mary Woodson assaulted him and then died by suicide at his Memphis home. So unbeknown, to Al Green. She was already married with three children, but she became upset when Al Green stated that he wasn't going to marry her. She doused him with a pot of boiling grits as he was preparing for bed in the bathroom, causing second-degree burns on his back, stomach, and arms, which required skin grafts. Shortly afterwards, Woodson fatally shot herself with his uh, 38 handgun, and police found an apparent suicide note inside her purse that declared her intentions and reasons. Days after Al Green was released from Baptist Memorial Hospital in Memphis, where he was treated for his burns, he was reportedly held hostage at gunpoint by his cousin, who he claimed owed her money. Green refused to press charges. Two years later, he establishes the Full Gospel Tabernacle Church in Memphis, Mm -hmm. where he resides and preaches quite close to Graceland, in fact. But he uh, cites the incident with Mary Woodson as a wake-up call to change his life. Now, I'm also going to have to delve into some other things because Al Green's, um, well, his uh, marriage with his first wife, Shirley Green, which occurred on on June 15th, 1977, was, well, he treated her abysmally. Right. So she was originally one of his backing vocalists and an employee at at his church. Uh, She first filed for divorce in 1978 on the ground of cruelty and irreconcilable differences. She then filed again in 1981, charging that Green had subjected her to domestic violence throughout their marriage. Al Green accused her of cruel and inhuman treatment in a counter-complaint. In a sworn deposition as 
1982 as part of her divorce filing, Shirley testified that in 1978, while she was five months pregnant, Al Green beat her with a boot for refusing to have sex. Okay, now. She claimed that the assault resulted in head wounds, one of which required stitches. After the incident, she filed for divorce, but they reconciled. According to Shirley, they separated several times when the beatings became too frequent and too severe. Initially, Al Green denied beating his wife, but whilst under oath, he admitted to striking her. The divorce was finalised in February 1983. Well, that's quite the sober note to end things on. Well, there's, there is a little more. So okay. there are also assault charges. So Green's former secretary, Linda Wills, filed, filed a $25,000 civil suit against him in 1974 and charged that Green beat her and shoved her through a glass door in his Memphis office after a dispute about how much back pay she was entitled for her duties. The civil suit was conflict was dropped because of conflicting testimony. By 1975, they settled a $100,000 lawsuit for assault and battery charges. So, Oof. certainly not the person that you think of when you think of the Reverend Albury. Well, exactly, exactly. So, and he it, is still uh, uh, he is still he is still actively act- actively preaching, preaching in the yes. church. Yeah, yeah, um, but. As we as we always do with with album clash, we do not um, we do don't not shy hide away, away from it. We no. don't shy away from the uncomfortable truths about the people that we cover. And you know, he's a wrong and he's yeah. you know, there's no getting Certified past that. shit bag. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, uh, I, I feel quite bad for getting as silly as we have done, but we've, we've done that before. We always yeah. get silly. In fact, it's probably usually it's usually on the shows we have to. We have to do a bit of a serious there. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, I have nothing on Legacy, so I think that's, yeah, let's just leave it there. Okay, so um, what's your best song? What's your worst song? Uh, my best song is obvious. It's Love and Happiness. It's probably my favourite Al Green song. It's brilliant. I love it. Worst song is a tough choice. I don't dislike anything on the album there's a couple that i'm less keen on uh i'll probably go for the good times it's too long it is too long okay how about you so i you know there's there's loads of good stuff on here but love and happiness we we don't it's it's brilliant Mm. um i think the weakest song for me is probably oh pretty woman because and for the reasons that you know i stated that Whilst it's perfectly fine, it never it, it never escapes the shadow of the original. Mm. Yeah, fair point. So okay. both Joe's covers is the weakest song. Mm-hmm. Scoring time then. So, as is traditional, it's your pick. So, uh, you start, then I am the sandwich filler. And then I bring <laughs> us home. I, I am the bread this week. Yeah, okay. All right. So... What do I think of Aretha Franklin's I'd Never Love the Man the Way I Love You? It's wonderful, is what I think of it. It showcases everything I love about Aretha Franklin and everything the world loves about Aretha Franklin. I mean, I didn't discover her. (laughs) I've spoken before about how highly I regard her as an artist, as a singer, as a songwriter. 
And that is writ large over this album. You have songs like Do Right Woman, Do Right Man, like the title track, like Save Me. And she didn't write all of those that are in their own right phenomenal, deep, enjoyable, emotional songs. And then you've got Respect, which, as you said, it's the definitive Aretha Franklin song. Rolling Stone voted it the greatest recording of all time. Even the fucking fellow that wrote it said, yep, that's not my song anymore. So this is scoring high, okay? This is scoring really high. It is not my favourite Aretha Franklin album, which we spoke about the other week. And there is one track on it which is out of place. So it ain't getting a 10. I'm going eight and a half. And I think I'm being a bit harsh there. We gave Amazing Grace nine, both of us. I don't think it's quite as good as Amazing Grace. So I've got to go eight and a half. How about you? Okay. Um, so you've, <laughs> you've not given me much. <laughs> <laughs> To really, to really go on, um, the the heights on this album are so high. As you said, we open with a belter. We, Drown in my tears is heartbreaking. I never loved a man. Soul serenade. You know, there's just a run of fantastic, fantastic songs. Doctor Feelgood. Mm. You know, there is so much emotion, pathos. Um, it, we go from absolutely wailing to beautiful, soft, a soft version of A Change Is Gonna Come, which is one of, one of the greatest songs ever written. So, you know, there are so many high points and there are very few low points. Mm-hmm. Scoring it's really hard. And I'm glad that you raised our previous score because I think... I am also going to come down with an eight and a half because it's not as good as Amazing Grace. But my word, this is this is a phenomenal album. It is. It is a phenomenal album. From a phenomenal artist and a phenomenal production team, and as we said, Mm -hmm. a phenomenal backing band. So Aretha gets 17 for I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Time for us to go through I'm Still In Love With You by Al Green. Kev, you lead us off. So, again, it has it has classic Al Green in, in terms of its sound, the production, the arrangements, musically, the like the, the backing band again are, are absolutely great. Love and Happiness is a wonderful, wonderful song. And you know, it this this really does have great romanticism and um, it, it also has grooviness. It has a slinky soul, as, a, as I've said. You know, it's there's all kinds of different things going on, but it's unmistakable, unmistakably Al Green. And it's really simple at times as well, but that's not a criticism at all. It's really, really good. But... I wasn't too keen on Oh Pretty Woman. And for the good times, I think you are right. It does go on a bit too long. 
so for that it isn't as strong as aretha so but it's a really strong album so it gets an eight from me okay so that means i've got to give it a nine for it to get a draw I mean, it's really good. That's why I chose it, because I knew it would be a close one. It's got everything you want when you listen to Al Green. Smooth, soulful, velvety vocals. Lush arrangements that are so delicate, yet so distinctive in how they provide the bed for Al Green to do, as I said earlier, to do his thing, work his magic. Everything sounds consistent. Everything sounds of a piece. Unlike Aretha's album, there's nothing that sticks out as out of place. Everything fits on the album. There's only nine tracks. Everything works. So that is very much in its favour. Yeah, Pretty Woman, as I said, I don't quite know what to think of it. It always catches me off guard, but I do really like it. I think the arrangement is is very much Al Green, and they all do a good job of performing the song. For the good times, it's beautiful. It is just too long. But what have you got? You've got the title track. You've got Love and Happiness that we said. I'm glad you're mine. As you said, it's fucking great. Simply beautiful. A wonderful piece of music. The closer... I think it's a wonderful way to end the album. Really understated, but really great to get into. Again, just melt into it. So, in a way, this is more consistently strong. However, I mean, there's a knobhead tax, which we've... It's been a long time since we've spoken about the knobhead tax, but there's definitely a knobhead tax for, for some of the behaviour that, that you called out and rightly so and what there aren't on this are the absolute standouts the absolute high points that you get with i never loved a man i'm going to be a little bit harsher than you and i i'm doing it for a reason i think we're starting to back ourselves into a bit of a corner here of thinking that anything below an eight is a bad score and that's bollocks so I'm going seven and a half. It's a really, really good album, this. It ain't perfect. Al Green is very, very far from perfect as an individual. It doesn't have the emotional impact with me that listening to Aretha does. And so uh, for me, seven and a half is a reflection of the album's strength. But... It ain't as good as Aretha. There you go. Seven and a half. Fair enough. So what does that mean? Fifteen? Uh, y- yes. No, sixteen. You gave. What did you give it? Eight. Fifteen and a half. Fifteen and a half. Fifteen and a half. Yeah. Fifteen and a half. Plays seventeen. So it's been quite close, as I mm-hmm. as I sort of engineered it to be, if you like, what the way I chose it. But we both agree that Aretha's "I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You" is. The stronger of the two albums, so um, I mean, I don't think there's much surprise in that, given how glowingly we often speak about our feelings for Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. She's just fucking great, wasn't she? She, she? she was just the best. And and actually, if you yeah. watch that Muscle Shoals documentary, she just comes across as dead sound 
in that because because it was made in mm-hmm. 2013. So she's she's interviewed for it. So yeah, Aretha's boss. She wins. Uh, it's her first win because she only managed to draw the first class. Indeed. I I did actually think about a rematch. I did think whether I should put Aretha up against Johnny Cash again, but I didn't. So there you go. Well done, Aretha. Uh, a valiant fight from Al Green, but Aretha prevails. So there you go. Kev, what is the next stop on our musical road trip? So we leave America. We head Once back. Again, our, our, <laughs> we go back to the UK. We head back across the Atlantic <laughs> and we go to the capital city. We go to London. Ooh. We uh, go to London at the end of the 70s. I thought that's where we were going. I have an idea of exactly what we're going to be doing, but I'm going to let you say it. So, Tim, you will be taking us through The Clashes, The Clash. Mm-hmm. And two are we going to be later, talking about Malcolm McLaren? Two weeks later, you are correct. I will be taking us through Never mind the bollocks, here's the Sex Pistols by the Sex Pistols. Yeah, I mean, this is not to damn you with faint praise at all. It is an obvious clash. It is one that I have thought many times about doing. It was inevitable we were going to do it Mm -hmm. at some point. I'm really pleased that you have bitten the bullet and said, let's actually do it. The Clash versus the Sex Pistols, get in. Yeah, but we are going punk. All right, fair enough. I'm looking forward to that. So uh, that's to come in uh, two and then four weeks' time. Until then, however, how can people keep across what we are doing on the socials, Kev? So um, as as I stated two weeks ago, that um, Twitter isn't a particularly enjoyable place at the minute. Um, nope. There is all kinds of horrific, horrible things going on there. But one of the things that has recently been bringing me joy is you may be aware of the uh, Twitter account Fesshole. Now, the fella who runs that also runs um, the Yoko Ono bot account, <laughs> which yes. I promise you will bring you so, so much joy. It's brilliant. So, so I will give you um, just a couple of ones to go to go with. Give a moving speech each time you see a wood chipping. <laughs> Cook a chicken. Invite your diners to write a poem about it before eating. <laughs> and finally, don't forget to express your love to crankshafts every day. <laughs> I mean, where would we be without crankshafts? Exactly. <laughs> the morning commute would be a lot harder, that's for certain. So whilst uh, checking that out on Twitter, which may well bring you some joy, you can check out our Twitter content at Clash Album. If you like carefully carefully curated quality content, you can go to our Insta at Clash Album. Or if you are Yoko Ono, you can send us some of your um, warblings to albumclash at gmail.com. Even if you're Yoko Ono bot, you know, please mm-hmm. send your automated warblings to us at <laughs> albumclash at gmail.com. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, thanks. By the way, can I just... Um, have you ever seen the um, the footage of... Uh, I think it's uh, John Lennon playing... I think it's with Chuck Berry. Um, no, and is so it's in the in the mid seventies, <laughs> and Chuck Berry gets like Yoko Ono's mic turned off. <laughs> X. 
Excellent. I mean, disgraceful. <laughs> I can't think why. <laughs> Beautiful singing voice. Haunting. <laughs> well, no, that is most certainly true. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Yeah. I'm not going to say keep in touch, guys, because that implies that you have at some point got in touch, which none of you have. So please get in touch. <laughs> Thank Possibly you. send us your own Yoko Ono-inspired haikus. Indeed, an excellent idea. Yeah, a brilliant idea. Send us some haikus. Or Ian Duncan Smith-inspired limericks, referring <laughs> to our previous show. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Um, hope you've enjoyed it. Let us know if you have, or if you haven't. We are going to 1970s London for our next clash, so uh, I am looking forward to that. Until then, however, I, as usual, have been the being known as Timothy. And I continue to be the being known as Kevin. And we shall see you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.